Welcome to the Carl Reader Show. Hello and welcome to the Be Your Own Boss podcast and today I'm delighted to be joined by Caroline Plum OBE, serial entrepreneur, non-executive director and also previously a UK ambassador for business for the Prime Minister. So Caroline, it's great to have you on podcast. Wonderful to be here, thank you very much. Excellent, so Caroline, um, please do tell us a bit about yourself. Uh, gosh, well, I'm, yeah, I'm Caroline Plum. I'm an entrepreneur. Uh, I started my first business when I was 21, straight out of university, uh, and then built that up over the course of, um, well, it's going to be 19 years old this year. Um, but over the last few years, I've been focused on building a new venture called Fluidly, um, which is all about cash flow forecasting and management for small businesses. Fantastic. So if we start the journey with your first business, yep. um, tell us about the first business. Uh, well, the business was called Fresh Minds. And um, yeah, and I left university. It was the first dot-com boom. Everyone was talking about starting a business. And a friend and I thought, well, maybe we'll give that a go. And uh, we had this idea that if we could connect up smart people uh, to business, then there'd surely be something in that. Sure. Uh, and that's essentially what we built, a network of um, some of the UK's finest minds. And we connected up to business for both consulting work, but also recruitment. And um, that business just really took off. And we started just the two of us, you know, with a computer in a room by ourselves and today the business has around about 80 people based in London uh, and works with some of the you know largest brands in the world. Brilliant, so it was just simply an idea that you had that it could be a good idea to fix people up. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we just, it was it was a real sort of um, energy around starting a business, a real belief that you could do it and there's a culture around it and we just thought we would give it a go. And I think that's a lot of what business is about, actually, if you're going to be your own boss. You've just got to like try it and, um, and you know, take that plunge over the edge and just you know, um, have a go and see what happens. It is about being brave and, as, as you say, taking that punt. And I'm sure that there's yeah. plenty of things that you repeated in Fluidly, but yeah. also I would imagine plenty of things that you wouldn't have done again. Yep. Yeah. So so tell me, um, what what was your biggest learning from starting that business? Um, oh, there's so many learnings. But I think one of the biggest things is about trying to understand what you don't know. So just know what you don't know and know then who to ask. And people often say when you start a business when you're young, you know, you don't know anything. And that's true. But the main barrier is actually don't know anyone. And so actually building your network, building people you can go and talk to, people you can ask for advice and understanding where your own gaps are and learning to ask great questions, great questions, I think, is the is the key to it. Fantastic. So, um, so that business you built it. What what happened with the business? Yeah, where, where it's, did... it's, it's great. It's to trading. It's, okay. I'm still, you know, main shareholder. I'm a non-executive director of the business. Brilliant. Um, and it's it's doing fantastic. Excellent. Well. So, 80 staff. Um, can you give us any indication of broad? size or customer numbers or anything along that sort of lines? Yeah, so we'll do you know, in excess of 10 million turnover. Um, the business is works with clients like um, Amazon, McKinsey, Google, Tesco, um, you know, to smaller businesses and, you know, really places high caliber people on a permanent and um, interim basis into into roles, particularly around strategy in marketing and proposition development, things that are both kind of high EQ and high IQ. Okay, so I want to touch on um, a couple of areas there because for the average listener and in fact the average business owner in the yeah. UK, 10 million might seem to be really out of reach for them, but you know, you've, you've proven that it's possible. So the first thing that I would like to ask is how did the business change as it scaled up um, from your perspective? Was, was there any point, sort of any tipping points along that journey where 
all of a sudden the nature of the business changed and the nature of your role within the business changed? I mean, I think it's a constant journey, isn't it? I mean, the f one of the first sort of inflection points is your first employee. Yes. And that is just a really big step because suddenly you're taking on a responsibility not just for yourself, which you can manage, but suddenly you take on somebody else's livelihood, someone else's. You know, oh, it's really it's scary, huge, isn't it? It is scary. Mm. And I think it's a big responsibility. And of course, you take it seriously. And I think that is a really, um, you know, a really important, like, first step and it also means you go from doing to managing yes that kind of do manage direct and you kind of move through that transition of That's doing it. everything yourself then starting to manage people manage projects manage um you know clients and then suddenly then you're managing kind of to leading is really yeah, tricky isn't it completely and yes. it's just it's just changing your mindset changing your style changing your approach you know through that transition sure so um at what point did you step away to become non-exec um, so about two years ago, three years ago. So okay. um, you know, I, I have three children, uh, and I've taken three periods of maternity leave. And sure. my youngest turned one. I thought, actually, I want to do something new. It was a good time, sort of personally, yes. professionally, and thought. I'm going to start another business, which people think is kind of a crazy thing to do when you've got a one-year-old, but actually it seemed like the perfect time yes, for me. Yeah. Um, but but know, never <laughs> is a perfect time, let's no, be that's, honest. Actually you're, that's, actually, you're right. People talk about, like, when one day I'm going to start a business. I think, what's stopping you? Like, yeah. just, just do it. Take the plunge. You know, um, people focus. I think what entrepreneurs are really good at doing is they're People think they just take risk all the time, these kind of zany people. But actually, entrepreneurs are just really good at managing risk. And they're yes. really good at focusing on the upside and managing the downside. And so actually, just starting something new, you've just got to take that go, have that go and just go for it. And the downside is never as far down as you think it could it be. It really isn't, is no. it? So, um, so you decided that you can start a new business. Yeah. And that involved you moving to a non-exec role. Yeah. How did you find handing over your baby, um, not not your literal baby, but your yeah. business baby to someone else? Actually, really easy. So the management team that you know I started to hand it over to, it's actually two businesses by this point, um, yeah, they had been collectively with me for over 30 years, sure. the three of them. So they've really been in the business for a long time, knew the business inside out, and frankly were way better at running it than I ever was. Yes. So uh, I'm actually, going through the same. I'm going through the yes, same. It was fantastic. You know, yeah. really good, uh, easy transition. Um, at least for me, I don't know about for them. But, um, and I think it just made sense. And it was the right time for me, and I was ready to move on. And and I spent a bit of time really thinking about what to do next and what area to build a business in. And I think I was probably quite uh, thoughtful about what the characteristics were of the business that I wanted to build next. So for me, it had to be technology. It had to be venture backable. It had to be something that could be a address a huge global pain point that it could build something really large. Sure. From. And they had a few other things that for me were important to me. So it had to be B2B, because um, I like that. It had to um, be have a re recurring, repetitive revenues. Yes. Um, so there were certain characteristics that I was looking for. And that kind of narrowed down the search criteria for the things I was looking to do next. Sure. And so did you have any set process for deciding on the new business? Or was it a, just a moment of inspiration where you woke up one morning and thought, this is it, I'm, I'm going to build fluidly and this is how it will look? Uh, no, I was really quite particular about it. Okay. I, I, I keep a list on my phone of business ideas. Sure. And I always maintain it. So, and I had actually had this idea a couple of years before that, and it had been part of the mix. Um, but I, again, I think people struggle for business ideas, and they say, oh, I can't think of what to build. I'm just I just copy something. Yeah, so, do you know, you Google, know. you look at Google, um, all Google have done is the same as Yahoo, Lycos, yeah. Alta Vista, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. but a bit quicker and a bit simpler. Yeah, and I think... 
I think um, you know the Inc. 500. If you're not sure where to do, what to what to do or what to build, just go and read the Inc. 500 and see the fastest growing 500 businesses in the U.S. and find one that appeals. Yes. Um, or take a business model that already exists in one sector and translate it to another. Um, so I think there's lots of ways to find it. Although actually, I wasn't. You know, for me, when it came up with business ideas um, for Fluidly, I was more interested in the kind of pain points. So what what sure. pain points did I really understand and I wanted to solve? Because I think you've got to fall in love with your problem, not your solution. Yes. And I, I think you've got to find a way of um, being really passionate about solving the problem you're trying to do. Because your first solution might not be the right solution. Do you know, I love, I love that phrase, falling, falling in love with a problem, not the solution. Yeah. Because so many business owners that I speak to, I see, yeah. um, they become obsessive about the tech that they've built. They become obsessed yeah. about the product. But actually, it's not about that. No, it's about not at all. it's about what you're delivering. Yeah, and I think that's it. Exactly that. It's about product market fit. And I always say to business owners, nobody ever goes bust without a product. You go bust because there's no market. Exactly. And so you have to focus on understanding the market, understanding the pain point, really understanding the customer, and then building the product that fits or your solution that fits. And that is about iterating on that because you're unlikely to get there in, in step one. Yeah. That's, that's fantastic. So you had a um, you had a set of criteria that you followed. Um, you had things that you were looking for, things that you would steer well clear of. Yep. Um, came up with fluidly. Um, so tell us about fluidly. Uh, what's the journey been so far? Yes. Yeah, so um, so fluidly, we solve the pain point that business owners are most um, care about, which is finance in particular cash flow. Mm. So we know that more than a third of business owners literally can't sleep at night because they're so worried about their money. And I have been one of those business owners and that's why the pain point I knew so well. Sure. You know, running my first businesses, that whole question like can I make payroll? Have I got enough money for the VAT bill? You know, what's my bank balance going to be at the end of next month? And you have all this data about what's happened in the past. An mm. accountant is fantastic, tells you exactly what's happened in the past, but doesn't tell you anything about your financial yes. future. And that's what Fluidly is for. So Fluidly is an intelligence layer that wraps itself around accounting systems, that wraps itself around bank accounts and financial data, and doesn't tell you what happened in the past, but tells you what will happen in the future. And not just what, but so what, and sure. now what. And that's the vision that we have. So we think of it really like an autopilot for finances. You know, and what an autopilot does is continuously monitor all of the time, dynamically optimize as you fly and course correct, and then preemptively alert you to opportunities or threats. Fantastic. And that's what, you know, that's what we're building for business finance. Sure, okay, and it's clearly something that business owners need. You yeah. know, um, I was thinking before this podcast, I'm yeah. going to be very open with you, I was thinking of asking you what are your top tips for managing cash flow. Yeah. Um, and yeah, there's a very simple answer, use a package like Fluidly yeah. to um, predict what's going to happen yeah. using technology such as AI, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm not actually going to ask you that, but I'm, yeah. so instead I'm going to focus on um, something that's a bit more um, a bit more general, yeah. um, and that is just for the practice of building businesses. Yeah. Because many people can build a business and be a bit lucky along the way. To yeah. build two, actually, it's not luck. There's um, there is a bit of a magic formula there. Yeah. Um, what I would like to drill down to is how you build a business that can be venture backed. Now, for yeah. the listeners. Um, Caroline is qualified to talk about this through her non-exec role as a um, in a VC firm. So we've got another angle on this as well. Yeah. So tell me more about the venture capital raising process yeah. and what works and what doesn't. 
So I think to raise venture capital, you have to be really clear that what you are fueling your business with is rocket fuel. Mm. So, you know, and you want to, you have to be prepared to build a rocket and try and fly it to the moon or, you know, um, let it kind of bomb out on the launch pad. But you're only going one or two ways um, with yes. that. So first of all, you have to be sure that what you're going after is a big enough market. And so, you know, VCs will only back a business if it can be really big. And so you, they look for something called the total addressable market. Yes. Like, how big could it be one day? Mm. And unless that is, you know, really, let's say over 250 million in the UK, and really probably looking for a market size of over a billion, unless you kind of get that and you, as a total addressable market, then it's not really venture backable. Yes. Um, so I think that's the first piece, kind of market size overall. And the second piece then goes to things like team, um, technology, you know, what is the technology? Is it defensible, like scalability, um, and you know the overall, you know, almost ambition of the business to deliver on it. Yes. So it's not for everyone. It really isn't. And Joe, you know, there was a great website. I don't know if it's still around. Both sides of a table. Yes. Yeah. Mark Sister, fantastic yes, podcast. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. So is it a podcast now? Uh, I, think so. he, I think he does a few videos, but he's also got a great Twitter account and yeah. a fantastic blog. And it's it's this really is it. So I, great. I used to read the blog, and it yeah. was a really interesting insight having somebody yes. who quite literally has sat on both sides of a table. And you, you're kind of the same, having been through the fundraise journey, yeah. um, but also serving as a non-exec. Yeah. So um, in terms of a VC. We've spoken about you know, the minimum requirements. Yeah. What would you say your top tips are for a business looking to pitch to a VC? You know, first of all, how would they find the VC? Yeah. And then secondly, what are the main do's and don'ts as far as pitching their business? I mean, in terms of pitching, there is so much literature out there now that you'd be, you know, you'd be crying shame if you were to pitch without having read it. Yeah. And so I think, you know, Mark's sister um, and both sides of the table was a fantastic place to start. There was a huge amount of information as to what to put in a pitch deck, how the pitch deck should flow, um, how to think about it. But for me, it's about trying to find the narrative. It's about trying to understand, you know, really what are you going to build and why are you going to be the team to succeed? Mm. And it's about painting that picture of what is the future reality? What's the category that you're going to build and dominate and own? You know, and really do you understand that and then tell me why you're going to win? Yes. And that's what VCs really want to know. And it is partly about personal passion and personal understanding, especially at the early stage. When you're looking at seed funding, Series A funding, I think when you get later down the track, it's just all metrics, metrics, metrics. But initially, it's about you know having that compelling vision and being able to bring people with you. And that's all about businesses. You know, you need to be able to sell your dream uh, to, um, to customers, to partners, to employees, to shareholders, to people in finance, to cheerleaders, to influencers. You know, you've got to be constantly communicating what you're building and why that's important. Completely. And from the other side, so um, this very much is a two-way relationship. Yeah. You know, when we talk about anything from a job interview right yeah. the way through to pitching to a VC, Absolutely. it's a two-way relationship. And even though the, the um, VC firm might might be taking a smaller slab of equity, yeah. they will hold a good proportion of control. Yeah. Um, what would you suggest people should look out for within a VC firm? You know, what, what are yeah. the warning signs that actually yeah. they need to be a bit careful? I mean, I think for me, the kind of fit, cultural fit was really mm. important. Um, we were in the fortunate position of having had having a few options, a number of options to go with in terms of who would back us financially. And so, you know, we had the option to choose investors. Yes. And you're looking for people you have a long-term relationship with. You know, the average time from taking first investment at a seed round through to exit, you know, assuming you make it rather than go bust in between, yeah. you know, is something like seven years as a yes. minimum. 
And so you're going to be with these people for a really long time and you've got to feel that you can trust them. And so for me, that's about being straightforward, trust, trustworthy, um, being able to communicate in good times and in bad. And you're looking for people who, who reputation in the fund kind of goes before them. So this I is it. And it's, it's not like um, choosing a bank where no. they're, they're very remote. They, they sit around the board table with you. Yeah, exactly. And you've got to, you know, find that a good, healthy working dynamic. And that means, you know, enough challenge to give something useful, um, but a relationship that kind of works in all those in all those times. So I do think it's a really important dynamic. And I think as an entrepreneur as well, you've got to be really careful about, you know, be savvy about what you're negotiating in terms of the term sheet. And yeah, I think the best advice is, you know, you've got to find a lawyer, got to find um, other entrepreneurs that can tell you what is market standard today. Yes. and you know, be really willing to go through that term sheet with a fine tooth comb and understand all the key pieces of it and how they should be worded to your advantage. Or if they're not, then you need to understand exactly where, where the gaps are, where the issues are. Fantastic. So I'm just going to ask one more question before we go on to the rapid fire. Yeah. Um, now, to the listeners, you um, you wouldn't have heard, but before this podcast, I said that I was going to spring a surprise on Caroline. <laughs> so she's panicking now, but I'm actually not going to spring a surprise on you, so you can relax. Okay. Um, but we will just talk about your role as a UK business ambassador yeah. for the Prime Minister. Um, and that, that's a really impressive role to have taken on. Um, tell us more about what that involved. I mean, I think one of the most important things is trying to just encourage trade and investment in the UK. Mm. So that's investment into the UK market and okay. UK trade and export You know, from that. And, um, you know, the UK is a great place to start a business. It you know, is. when you think about it, we forget all the advantages and we forget the great things that we actually have in terms of infrastructure, even language, our time zone, the, you know, respect of law, the yes. ability to keep IP and build IP, the talent, you know, creativity, um, you know, higher education infrastructure. There's just so many good things that actually when you're in it day to day and you think, oh God, my tube isn't showing up and you know, things are hitting you. But actually there's so many good things. I, and I also think there's, a, there's another piece here that the government aren't necessarily very good at promoting what they do for business, yeah. um, apart from for the corporates. So it, you know, it's good to see they are actually yeah. undergoing these. So was it an international role that you were involved in? Yeah, so we would do, we would do a variety of things really. Um, host um, ex- international delegations here sure. um, when they came to the UK when looking at investment, whether that's you know from I think jo- Jordan, Australia, China, you know a whole a whole range, um, through to going out in market to promote the UK as a place to do business or to promote UK interests around entrepreneurship um, or trade. Um, you know those sorts of areas really fantastic and, and you are absolutely right what you say with our um, we have got an internationally leading legal system mm. um, it is a very easy place to do business compared to many jurisdictions um, so there are very few barriers compared to most yeah I mean you can start literally start a business with I think 30 pounds now I know. and you can be incorporated at company's house and you're there I mean there's you don't need licenses you don't need permits you can just get on with it and so it's not really a barrier and the amazing thing is with the technology that we all have access to at our fingertips nowadays yeah. we're up there with corporates yes yeah we, we've got the ability to manage our businesses just in the same way as a corporate will so and the cost of reaching customers and markets has come down hugely massively Caroline you'll be relieved to hear that's the end of the formal podcast but with every guest we run through some rapid fire questions. Sure. Um, and this is the chance for the listeners to get to know Caroline, you know, who are you? <laughs> and a little bit more about what makes you tick and what you've learned along the way. Yeah. So the first one I'm gonna ask you is if you were to set up a mastermind group, 
So it's a group of four people, so there's okay. three other people around the table. Okay. They can be dead or alive, fictional or non-fictional. Who, okay. who would you bring? Ooh, that is a great question. Um, Got to have someone like Leonardo da Vinci. Okay. Because he was just sort of, um, a, you know, just had so many talents across so many fields, right? Um, who else? Um, maybe J.K. Rowling. Okay. Just because she's awesome. Um, and I think we'd bring a huge amount. And maybe then someone from a different sphere. I've got someone in literature, someone in sort of across everything. Uh, oh, this is really tough. <laughs> uh, we'd probably better have someone like Stephen Hawking, just for his sheer brain power, I Fantastic. think. Fantastic. Do you know, I'd be overwhelmed by that mastermind group, quite frankly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's great. The next one I'm going to ask you is, what business book have you found that's had the most impact on you? Oh, my favourite business book of late is Play Bigger. Okay. Uh, it is a fantastic book. Everyone should read it. And who, who's that by? I knew you were going to ask me that and I forgot. I think it's Christopher Lockhead and Al Ramadan, possibly, and some more, and more authors. Brilliant. We'll check that out. Okay, but that's Play Bigger. Play Bigger. Um, and the book is about category creation. Okay. So it's about how do you innovate and how do you not just build something that is, um, you know, better, but something that's different. And the whole thing is about, you know, Elvis didn't disrupt um, you know, jazz. He invented rock and roll. And so what you see is, like, how do you build a new category? And it's businesses that build new categories that actually, like, own and win markets. It's a fantastic book. Brilliant. So I'm now going to ask you from a non-fiction, uh, sorry, from a fiction perspective, yeah. um, what is your best fiction book that's inspired you in some way? Well, the thing I'm reading at the moment actually has been really nice. My mother-in-law gave it to me for Christmas. It's called Power. Okay. And uh, it's a story about how women um, basically discover this um, power, the ability to uh, basically electrocute and bring electricity through their bodies at will. And it changes the whole power dynamic because suddenly women are now more powerful than men. Okay. Um, and it just starts to upset the whole power dynamic of the world. So it's a real kind of really? book about like destruction the, the of the patriarchy. Yeah, they have they discover this like new muscle in their shoulders that they can electrify and they can literally zap people. And it's not us men. And they, it, they zap men as well. Yeah, they zap. They no, but zap but we we don't have the power. No, the so the power, so, so the reason I ask is I'm really scared of my wireless charging pad now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you should be because they might be zapping you with a. But it's fascinating to see how um, you know how much of the construct of the world that we live in comes from men's physical power. Okay. And when you start to remove that, and actually women have the kind of physical power yes. and the physicality. Um, how so many things through society can shift. And it's a real sort of, um, I guess from a man, guys, a dystopian <laughs> reality, but from a woman's perspective, it's just really, really, really interesting. Brilliant. So that book's called The Power. 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 And who's it by? I'm just not big on authors at the moment. I can't <laughs> remember. Okay. Google will find it. <laughs> no problem. So um, the next one, what tip do you wish you were given earlier in life? You know, what, what advice would you give yourself if you were to go back to just leaving university? I think some of the advice is about actually um, almost freeing yourself from other people's perceptions sure. and being able to take kind of risk and confidence um, earlier in life. I think I was lucky that, um, you know, actually relatively young, someone said to me about Pareto's law and being about 80-20 and was very much like, look, if you want to do take on an awful lot in life, you just have to be 80-20 about stuff and you've got to focus on, you know, some things and let some other things go. Um, but that ability just to, you know, to have that kind of free freedom, yes, um, and then confidence in yourself to find your own route, I think is really important. Brilliant. And what would you do differently um, if you were to look back at your business journey so far? Yeah. 
is there any decision where you think, yeah, actually, I wish I'd have gone a different route? Oh, God, so many. I mean, I think that's... But actually, I think that in itself is the learning. It that is. Actually, you know, we talk about one-way streets and two-way streets. And, you know, one-way streets, if you go down those decisions, you c there is no return. And two-way doors, actually, you can reverse out of those really fast. And so I think what's really important is distinguishing between the two. So when you're on a one-way street, you've got to know that's a decision that you can only take once, and it is, you know, a route. But most decisions actually are not that case. Yeah, and there's a, there's a really powerful question yeah. is what, what is the worst that can happen? Exactly. You know, Dr. Pepper. And <laughs> the answer is not very much. And so I would rather find someone that takes, you know, 100 decisions a year and, frankly, only gets 40% right than someone that takes 10 decisions a year and gets 90% right. Because someone's making 40 decisions and someone's only taking nine. And actually what you need is the kind of velocity and pace of the decision making and then the ability to recognise that if it's the wrong one, you just reverse it out quickly. And I think businesses actually just zigzag to the destination yes. rather than being really clear in the first place. And that zigzag is absolutely fine. It's all part of the journey, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's never as easy as we think it will be. Um, so the last question for you, what, what is the best purchase that you've made for around 50 quid? over the last six months that's had the biggest impact on your life? Best purchase? Oh, uh, probably um, a, uh, a, you know, a portable phone charger you know, I keep in my handbag. Yeah. You know, it was actually probably less than that, it's about a tenner. But my phone is always running out of battery because I'm on it so much. Sure. And just having a spare <laughs> battery um, was really useful. And that and my Amazon Prime subscription, actually, um, yes. which just, you know, the ability just to buy small objects that arrive the next day just, I couldn't live my life without it. No, you see, for me, it's the wireless charging pad because I'm an obsessive phone checker in the evening. Yeah. Um, however, now you've told me about that book, yeah. I'm really scared. I'm really scared. Caroline, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Um, where can the listeners find out more about you? Uh, well, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Plum, P-L-U-M-B, or follow at Fluidly. Fantastic. Caroline, thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to The Carl Reader Show. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and tell your friends. This podcast was brought to you by our sponsor, D&T Advisory, helping you unlock the magic in your business by adding value, not numbers. Find out more at www.team-dt.com. QuickBooks, helping UK small businesses stay on top of their finances.